Coming up on the FSR Sark Fighter podcast, COVID and sarcoidosis, the latest chapter. The immune system doesn't always respond to typical triggers in the same way that the healthy immune system would. Doctors Kristen Ascoli and Kristen Vatz at the University of Illinois, Chicago, are really digging in to see if SARC patients are protected by the various COVID vaccines. And the results surprised even them. This was actually surprising for us. Um, I had uh, every thought that the amount of antibody that we first measured, I I thought it was going to be diminished. you know, we, we might be surprised, but the, the fact that we're surprised is actually a good thing. Their research and your protection next on the Sark Fighter podcast. This is the Sark Fighter podcast, living with sarcoidosis and other rare diseases. Here's your host, John Carlin. Hello and welcome to episode 77 of the FSR Sark Fighter podcast. This episode is brought to you by ATAR Pharmaceuticals. To learn more about their new pulmonary sarcoidosis trial, EFSOFIT, visit www.stopsarcoidosis.org slash trial. And there's a link in the show notes. Quick message from FSR. Question is, how can you make an impact in the sarcoidosis community? Well, the Foundation for Sarcoidosis Research invites you to join a team of sarcoidosis leaders in your area. FSR is seeking individuals impacted by sarcoidosis to work with the newly launched FSR Global Sarcoidosis Clinic Alliance. Volunteers can apply to become something called community outreach leaders who will work together to share their sarcoidosis stories with the public to empower others and raise awareness. Or you can apply to be something called a support group leader who will work in teams of two to facilitate in-person support group meetings at FSR Clinic Alliance member locations. And you can learn more by visiting the FSR our website, stopsarcoidosis.org slash GSCA dash leaders. And there will be a link, as always, in the show notes. Now, you've heard me say this before, but I like to keep it out there, let you know that I do this podcast to offer fellow Sark fighters hope and to help you connect with other Sark patients to hear their stories, understand how sarcoidosis affects their lives, and hopefully that helps you understand what's going on with you, what you're up against, what you need to overcome, whether it's the disease or the effects of the medicine or both. And of course, I can tell you from lots and lots of experience and talking to lots of people and working as a volunteer with FSR that uh, there's a lot of people out there that just sort of feel like a lost ball in high weeds when it comes to sarcoidosis because it's hard to find good, reliable information. It's, It's hard to find information, honestly, if you start Googling it that isn't scary and somewhat over the top scary, more scarier than I think it needs to be in many cases, even, even though sarcoidosis can be quite serious. Um, I, I think you, we need to have a measured look at it. And because of the patients and the doctors and the researchers 
and the caregivers who have come on and talked about that on the podcast, I think you get a very straight shooter look at what's going on with sarcoidosis here on the FSR Sark Fighter podcast. And you probably know, but if you're new to the podcast, I have sarcoidosis. I have neurosarc, which puts me in a very small category of people uh, in the sarcoidosis community. But, um, and I've, you know, I've had a tough go of it, but I've, I've, as far as I can tell, I've turned the corner on it a bit, but I am still here doing the podcast because that's something that, that I really believe in and I, and I believe it helps. Now, if you've been listening, you probably know by now that I am a news anchor for the NBC station WSLS in Roanoke, Virginia. And I tell you that because we have been running story after story about what everybody's calling the triple-demic, right? That's a new word, but it means there's not an epidemic, there's a triple-demic because there's three threats out there. There's the flu, there's something called RSV, which affects mostly children, and then there's covid And all three of them are going around in big numbers right now, depending upon where you live. In Virginia, it's very bad. You know, when we show the map of the United States and the the states colored in red are the worst, that's Virginia, okay, (laughs) as of right now in December of 2022. So um, now that we're all inside... Uh, it's you know the weather isn't nice anymore in fact we have freezing rain outside my home here today in Roanoke the hospitals are full of people everybody's coming down with one of these things from COVID the flu or RSV or you know I, I hope I hope for the sake of most people it's not more than one because any one at a time is more than enough but today, it's, we're going to talk about COVID-19 because ever since the pandemic started, there has been this question as to whether we in the SART community are protected by the various vaccines, Pfizer and the like. And so doctors Escoli and Vats got into it, I mean really into it, by watching what happens inside the body to see how antibodies are produced and whether sarcoidosis itself or the immune suppressant drugs we take play any role in reducing the effectiveness of the drug. And we know, and I'll talk more about this in a moment, we know that other vaccines have been highly ineffective for the sarcoidosis community. So now along comes the relatively new vaccines to treat COVID, and they wanted to see if there was a difference. And I don't want to give it away because they're going to sort of unravel that for us when we get to the interview. But before we get to the interview, let me tell you right now that as I record this on December 15th, 2022, I have COVID. (sighs) I have had the two initial vaccines and one booster from Pfizer and I've gone all the way through the pandemic And I haven't had COVID until now. And I have not missed any work. I, you know, I continue to work through the pandemic at the TV station. You know, we did, we did our best in terms of keeping our hands clean and social distancing and all that stuff. But I was at work pretty much every day all the way through the pandemic. And, and in recent months, I've flown on airplanes. I've gone to, you know, Parties, family parties, 
you know, grandkids, birthday parties, you name it, and, and have been around a lot of people. And honestly, I thought I was immune. So that's what I get for being, is that a definition of arrogant? Um, thought that I was untouchable? Well, that's what I get, right? So uh, right now, I am sitting here. I've got yeah, low-grade fever and some body aches. I'm controlling that with ibuprofen, and so far, so good, right? I mean, it doesn't feel, quote-unquote, like a severe case. I could wake up tomorrow, and that'd be different, but um, let's, let's hope that doesn't happen. Um, but if you remember back in the early part of the pandemic, everyone said that in the beginning, those of us with these suppressed immune systems should be especially careful, right? We were more at risk than the general population. And, and for a while, I was as careful as you could possibly be within the confines of I still had to go to work. But I was very good about social distancing. I was always masking. I was doing all the things, right, that, that we were supposed to do. Um, and, but I was one of the first in the region to get a vaccine as soon as it became available. And at that time, there were long lines of people wanting the vaccine. As, as this evolved, you might remember people were like, oh, I don't want to get a vaccine. I'm an anti-vaxxer, all of that. Well, I was one of the very first people in line and one of the first people I knew to get a vaccine and a follow-up vaccine. So um, I had been pretty much feeling bulletproof ever since. Um, now, I have to tell you, I didn't get the second booster. So I got the two vaccines and one booster, but I didn't get the second booster because I was waiting for them to get the very latest strains of COVID into the booster. And then I was just kind of looking for a time where it didn't matter if I got sick so I wouldn't have to miss, you know, an important day at work or a grandchild's birthday party or something. Because a lot of times, let's face it, people get the shot and then they're down for 24 hours. And so I was kind of dancing around that. Maybe I was making excuses in my own head. I probably was. I put it off. And now here I am. I've got COVID. Hopefully it won't get any worse. I'll take my mandatory five days off from work and hopefully I'll be back. Of course, I will keep you posted. But this is not about me, other than it's just kind of um, serendipitous that right at the time I have COVID, along come Doctors Ascoli and Vats. So Christian Ascoli uh, and Kristen Vats are pulmonologists at the Bernie Mac Sarcoidosis Translational Advanced Research, or STAR, Center at the University of Illinois at Chicago, which is led by Dr. Nadira Swice. And there they conduct research as members of the Finn Perkins Research Group, as led by Drs. Patricia Finn and David Perkins. Now, the center is a member of the Global Alliance for the Foundation for Sarcoidosis Research, FSR, and it's also a Wausau Sarcoidosis Center of Excellence. So this is one of those places that people travel to from all over the United States to get treatment. All right. It's just it's just one of those top centers in the United States that you need to know about. Now, uh, they provided me with some information on other vaccines and their effectiveness with sarcoidosis patients. 
And so I'll, I'll read you a few bullet points here. There are only a few existing studies looking at how subjects with sarcoidosis respond to vaccines, and the results are pretty mixed. Only half of sarcoidosis subjects responded to a tetanus vaccine. None responded to the hepatitis vaccine, and everyone responded to the flu vaccine. So some mixed stuff in there. I've had a couple of tetanus shots, and I'm sitting here wondering, did they not work? I don't know. I just got this information myself. So, um, so then obviously that begs the question, okay, well, if you've got sarcoidosis and there's a new vaccine out there, are we going to have a good response like we do with the flu vaccine or a terrible response uh, like the hepatitis vaccine? Um, food for thought, isn't it? So each study was small and they had limitations. So vaccination is still highly recommended. This is again coming from the doctors. However, there is a lot to learn about the immune response in sarcoidosis. So how do we as SARC patients respond to the COVID vaccine? That's coming up in the FSR SARC Fighter podcast. I feel like a zombie just feeding and stumbling Hi, I hope you're enjoying the Sark Fighter Podcast. You may be wondering, what can I do to help? How can I be a part of the sarcoidosis solution? It's simple. Make a donation to KISS. Kick in to stop sarcoidosis. 100% of the money goes to the Foundation for Sarcoidosis Research. Look for a link in the show notes of the Sark Fighter Podcast. Welcome back to the Sark Fighter Podcast. And joining me now from the University of Illinois, Chicago, are Drs. Christian Ascoli and Kristen Vatz. Doctors, welcome to the podcast. Hi. Thank Hi, you. good morning. Good morning. You guys jumped into this research to find out if the COVID-19 vaccines are effective for people with sarcoidosis. And I want to know um, kind of what led you down the path to decide that's what you wanted to do and and what you started to, to find out as you as you began to look at it. Sure. I guess I can expand a little bit on the background and then I'll let Kristen take over with the actual vac vaccination aspect of this. So the, the background in sarcoidosis that led us to explore this area has to do with the fact that sarcoid is a disease of contrasts, right? Uh, there is a lot of inflammation in affected organs, but that inflammation is, is contrasted by the fact that in the peripheral blood, it seems like the immune system is actually limited. And we recognize this limitation of the immune system because it's known not only from our research, but from other research laboratories and historical research that sarcoid actually manifests with what we call cell energy and cell exhaustion, basically meaning that the immune system doesn't always respond to typical triggers 
in the same way that the healthy immune system would. So this actually raised the question in this new disease, right, where we had at the moment no effective treatment strategies and the focus was on prevention, is it possible that our patients with sarcoidosis will not respond in the same manner as healthy patients would to the vaccination? And if they are receiving the vaccine, um, can we somehow figure out whether or not the, the response is going to be robust enough to protect against COVID in the same way that it would in a healthy person? Got it. So, Kristen, do you want to uh, pick it up from there? Sure. So, um, that being said, um, we uh, took the opportunity with um, the big vaccine rollout uh, at UIC. We recruited um, actually employees of UIC uh, as healthy controls um, and then also recruited patients with sarcoidosis from our clinic. Um, we had drawn their blood right before they received the first vaccine. Um, everyone had received the Pfizer uh, two series um, mRNA vaccine at our hospital. And so um, we had drawn their blood right before the first vaccine and then drew their blood again seven days after the second dose of the series and ultimately um, measured their antibodies uh at different time points to see overall what was the antibody response. Um, it's important to note that we measured the vaccines in two different ways. Um, we first quantified a single type of antibody um, to try and get a sense of how do subjects uh, respond in the amount of antibody that they produce. Um, this type of test is a little bit more commercially available, a little bit easier run in our lab. Um, so felt that it may be a little bit more generalizable to have that information. Um, then we did a little bit more complex testing to assess the function of what we call neutralizing antibodies. Um, so it less so identifies the specific type of antibody, but gives information on how effective is that antibody at preventing infection. So um, from our study, we're trying to, again, gauge how much antibody does do patients with and without sarcoidosis produce and how are they functioning? Okay. So, so you've got a sarcoidosis patient and you want the body to produce antibodies against COVID-19 and you were measuring and looking at it in two different ways to make sure that you were getting conclusive findings, right? Absolutely. Absolutely. Okay. And um, yeah, go ahead. Oh, I'm sorry. And also, uh, if, you know, you were to go to your clinician and say, am I protected against COVID, have I received COVID? Can you measure an antibody test? Um, being able to sort of correlate the type of quantification tests that we did first and how well are those antibodies actually function functioning, I think means a lot for you out in the, someone with sarcoidosis out in the real world. Right. Now, I, I, I want to ask you this because you've got two factors at play here with SARC patients because we have sarcoidosis, which brings its own problems to the table. And then we're taking drugs that are immune suppressing drugs. And if you were to take my blood, for instance, 
I don't I don't know if you would be looking at the effect from the medicine or from the sarcoidosis. Is how do you tell? How do you know? Or do you care? Um, you absolutely care. Um, okay. You know, uh, like Dr. Scully had mentioned, as far as the sort of inherent immune dysfunction that we suspect sort of underlies sarcoidosis. You're right. A lot of patients are on treatment, um, immunosuppressive treatment that then alters their antibody response. Um, So it was important to include both patients um, on and off treatment in our study. Um, I admit, you know, as far as the amount of patients we overall were able to obtain, um, we didn't obtain vast numbers of either. Um, but we do have um, uh, both groups represented, um, okay. so we and, can hopefully draw some conclusions. At um, at the University of Illinois Chicago, uh, you have a sarcoidosis clinic, so you you see a fair number of sarc patients. Correct. So at the University of Illinois, what we have in terms of a sarcoidosis clinic is a comprehensive care center that is the. Bernie Mac Translational Center for Sarcoidosis. Okay, so we really embark on treating all aspects of sarcoid. Dr. Box and myself being the pulmonar- uh, pulmonary leads for sar- sarcoidosis, uh, and our director, Dr. Swice, Nadira Swice, she is the rheumatology lead for sarcoidosis. Um, so I think that I would say we we have a vast amount of active patients with sarcoidosis in our clinic um, that come routinely to see us. And, you know, th- this was a pressing question on their minds uh, in, in the height of the pandemic. You know, are, are we protected? Can we live out our normal lives uh, if we got this vaccination? You know, with, with the with, with all aspects of safety in, included, not just vaccines and done. Um, and because we're a sure. referral center um, yeah. for uh, other kind of communities in Illinois around Chicago, um, we do see a lot of complex sarcoidosis. So, um, sarcoidosis that. Uh, is not simple, um, you know, has been, you, you've reached the maximum of what their um, community primary care physician, rheumatologist, or pulmonologist can manage or understand. Um, and so uh, I think that's reflected in our patient population, especially with this study, is that we do have a lot of patients on um, a lot of different treatments. Yeah. So you, so basically, you guys are in a, a fantastic place to sort of run this study. You've 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 got enough people there, and you always want more, I'm sure. But you've got enough people there that you can do some conclusive testing. So let's cut to the chase a little bit. You started doing the test. You want to know if um, if the vaccines are effective. You tend to look at certain markers to determine that, and the markers. And the end results didn't match up, right? Who, right. Wants to, who wants to take a stab at explaining that? I will uh, let Dr. Boggs take over. <laughs> okay. All right. All right. <laughs> you know, um, so I this was actually surprising for us. Um, I had uh, every thought that the amount of antibody that we first measured, I, I thought it was going to be diminished. Um, so we had measured antibodies um, 
at that short-term time period uh, right after that second dose and then measured them again at six months um, to get that short-term effect and um, how well our antibodies initially produced and then how well our antibodies, how long do they stay around, um, which is what that six-month time point would provide. Um, and so was very surprised to see that um, uh, subjects with sarcoidosis, they had a nice, robust immune response. Antibody numbers were very comparable to their controls, um, so the, those without sarcoidosis, at that first time point. So um, they, we know, it just robust response to the um, to the vaccine, but they diminished at six months, meaning um, that something's happening to those antibodies. They're not hanging around. Hmm. Um, and when we looked at overall function, however, those time points, um, the initial short-term function was comparable to controls and actually persisted at six months. As far as why that's happening, um, you know, there is uh, just the underlying pathogenesis of sarcoidosis is, is what we think um, the immune system is distracted or it's doing something else um, in the process of forming these the, antibodies. Okay. Um, so well, and, let, let me, let me interrupt there. Cause I want to make sure that I understand what you're saying. So you've got the vaccine, it comes in, your body's supposed to create the antibodies to protect you from COVID sarcoidosis is there and it creates some sort of a distraction in your body. But despite that fact, it's the vaccine is still working, but it's not working the way you thought it was going to work or the way it typically works. I I would say yes. Um, okay. All right. I'm oversimplifying. I know. So, uh, but go ahead and, and, and give that a, a shot. Sure. And Dr. Scully, if you think that you can say this better, please feel free. <laughs> no, um, so I, I think I would only add here because, you know, we, we might be surprised, but the, the fact that we're surprised is actually a good thing. Because like you're saying, regardless of the body acting a little bit differently in sarcoid, it does seem that at an intermediate time point, so at the six-month mark, the neutralizing effect, which is how well the body can actually protect against COVID, persisted. So that was actually a great finding. Right? It was an unexpected but great finding because it gave us, a, in part, a sense of security. That's awesome. So the average person who doesn't have COVID six months out, how do you compare the COVID patient to your control patient? They both both have the same amount of, of coverage from the vaccine, or is the uh, sarcoidosis patient better protected or the, or the same? Um, I would say that they're similarly protected similar. um, okay. based off that functional um, test that we did. Um, now, there are many different types of antibodies that we could measure. We only chose one. Um, but if you were to, you know, go to the lab store, um, there would probably be 10 brands of antibody tests to to purchase. Um, and we only chose one. So um, we don't have data on the other nine. So there are antibodies there that are functioning appropriately. It's just not what we measured. Um, 
So the fact that those antibodies may or may not be different from their controls, the patients who don't have sarcoidosis, um, it just speaks to the process of the immune system. And, um, you know, we're happy that everyone gets from point A to point B, but sarcoidosis patients take a detour somewhere um, and they lose that antibody at that six month time point. But it doesn't matter that they lost that particular antibody. They still have other antibodies present that are functioning and preventing infection. Other antibodies from the antibody store. Correct. Yeah. Okay. All right. The, the nine other antibodies. So, so you're good. So do I hear you saying then if it's been six months since your last vaccine or booster that you really need to get another shot? Absolutely. Um, I think that it just uh, patients with sarcoidosis should absolutely follow what the CDC and, and other governing bodies recommend um, internationally. Um, as far as recommendations for boosters, um, every six months, definitely, particularly if immunosuppressed, um, I think we have shown that they are protected um, similarly to, to normal um, or, or healthy patients. Um, but yes. Okay. <laughs> yeah. Let me, let me ask this because there are, there are several frontline drugs that people will be familiar with. And if, if I'm venturing off on the reservation here and this has no relevance to what you're studying, let me know. But so you have patients taking, for instance, the high dose prednisone as an initial attack against sarcoidosis, and then you follow up with methotrexate, and then you might follow up with Remicade. And then uh, for me, it's Humira and uh, azathioprine or thioprine. Um, does it matter which of those therapies a patient is using in terms of the effectiveness of the COVID vaccine? Or do you know? Um, overall, it's really hard to say based on our study, um, because we don't have enough patients on each of those medicines as their only drug, um, to really be able to draw firm conclusions from, um, I will say that we, we do have, um, there, I believe six or so subjects who were on numerous medications and overall they had the same results as those who weren't on, um, medications that their immunity persisted. The functional antibodies were still functioning at that six month time point. Um, so very reassuring, um, that these subjects are at least from what we can gather protected against COVID at that time, similarly to, to those who aren't on treatment. So Dr. Ascoli, what happens now? Do you continue this study? Will there be a follow-up study? Do we put this in a book and, and use it for guidance going forward? What happens? I think it can be used as the basis for research moving forward. Um, as Dr. Vox has been mentioning, I, I don't think we can, you know, establish law with our study alone. It, it's a small study that will still require a lot of follow-up because there are many unanswered questions that it leaves. Um, at least after the initial series, we do recognize that that's, at that six-month mark, patients with sarcoidosis are protected. Uh, we don't know 
what's happening beyond that. And so that's, you know, going back to Dr. Vogt's uh, recommendation here, it is important for our patients to follow the current uh, CDC and governing body guidelines with regards to how often the booster should be obtained. Um, with regards to follow-up research per se, we are looking more in depth into what makes patients with sarcoidosis have this discrepancy um, in, in their antibody responses uh, in relation to healthy patients, right? So why is it that these non-neutralizing, these non-functional antibodies seem to wear off, whereas the, you know, the function and the protection still remains. Hmm. Uh, and, and those are questions that I think we are equipped to answer because we were lucky enough to, you know, all, also um, be able to plan ahead for this study because we knew that the vaccines were going to be rolled out. So we had time to sit down as a group and really come up with a plan for assessment of these immune responses. Um, so there, there will be a part two to this study, uh, which we are working on currently. We can't say much about what we're actually doing, but it, mm. it will happen. <laughs> um, if you tell me you'll have to kill me, is that one of those? That, that kind of secret? Yes, it's a state secret. <laughs> gotcha. <laughs> okay. Um well, I, I'm just curious because you know you're you're a little bit. Um, what we don't know sometimes is as important as what we do know, right? Because that's a clue, in my opinion. Just looking at research in general and having talked to a lot of different people over the years. So, if you could figure out why this immune response thing is going a little bit haywire but still works, does will that? And I'm I'm asking this on behalf of all SARC patients. Could that lend some indications to the cause of sarcoidosis? Because we still don't know what that is. I'm not sure if it would lend indications to the cause itself. It might be. It, I think it, it, it's what it might answer is: Can we treat sarcoid better and differently? Ah, it, okay. it might be it might be more along those lines rather than cause and effect. Right? It's because your immune system is working in this way and not that way. Can we treat differently? So can we really attempt to personalize therapy, target different aspects of your immunity to make sure that you don't progress into more severe sarcoidosis, um, you know, to potentially bring the immune system back towards a more normal way of functioning. Um, so I, I think it can guide us along those lines. Okay. That's, that's encouraging from my perspective as a patient, uh, so, Kristen, do, do you uh, agree with all that? Do you have anything to add to it? Um, yeah, no, I, I absolutely agree with that. Um, I mean, I 
I'm a little bit more idealistic and thinking that, you know, hopefully and further assessment of the processes that are stimulated from the vaccine, um, you know, will we be able to identify the defect that causes sarcoid? I, th- that sounds perfect. That sounds lovely. Um, in an ideal world. Um, will we, with our study, I, I think we may sort of be pointing ourselves in the right direction, really setting ourselves up. So I'm hopeful. Okay, great, great. So thank you guys. I, I mean, it's it's awesome that you all are are doing this and that you're finding out new information about sarcoidosis, where as the orphan disease community, as you know, uh, there's not a lot of lights being shined on sarcoidosis. And so it's amazing. And, uh, and I'm thankful that you guys are doing what you're doing there. And it looks like you're just, just at the very beginnings of your research. Yeah, yeah absolutely. Now we're um, very uh, honored and we love what we do. We love our patients. Um, I think we both fell into this particular field because of the patients, because of the uncertainty, because it, it was this, um, there, there is a wealth of knowledge to be had that I think we're just kind of at the tip of the iceberg. Um, so a lot of opportunity and a lot of room for growth. So I think that excites us both. Um, and, you know, our, our colleagues are wonderful. Our, our staff is wonderful. Our patients are wonderful. So it makes it all, all the better. Great. Dr. Ascoli, any last thoughts? No, just, well, just to remind everybody that we are, here for you all, right? We are not here for ourselves. We are here to help the Sarkoid community at large. And, you know, hopefully one thing leads to another. And with time, we will be better able to serve you all. I feel like a zombie Just feeding at stumbling The takeaway then is that, yes, we are protected, even though the vaccines take a different path to success in the bodies of those of us suffering from sarcoidosis. Thanks to Drs. Ascoli and Vats for joining me here on the FSR Sarcfighter podcast, and more importantly, for their research into COVID-19 and sarcoidosis. And by the way, I can tell you, coming up in the next episode of the FSR Sarcfighter podcast, we'll be hearing from Dr. John Belpirio on the state of sarcoidosis as a disease, and he is doing his research at UCLA. Uh, the future for sarcoidosis patients is incredibly bright. And, you know, I think, you know, FSR, as well as the National Institutes of Health, as well as the biotech industry are really trying to find ways to resolve these granulomas. And every day we're coming closer and closer. And I think we are chipping away at that granuloma. And the more we chip away at it, the more we're going to get a cure. We're going to have durable remissions where we don't have to worry about patients coming out of remissions. The future looks incredibly bright for pulmonary sarcoidosis as well as all sarcoidosis, meaning heart, lungs, you know, kidney, liver, neurological system, the eyes, the mouth. It's all going to get better. That's coming up in episode 78.
The official Sark Fighter song called Zombie is by Mark Steyer and his band, the White Hot Lizards. You can hear Mark's story, the story behind his lyrics, in episode 12. Normally, the Sark Fighter podcast is released every other Monday, and so far we've been able to do that. As I'm speaking today, my trusty dog, Dougal, is not being so trusty because instead of being curled up in the chair in my office, my wife is working from home. And son of a gun, if he isn't curled up in the chair in her office, I'm going to have to uh, get on him for that. <laughs> Don't forget to follow the Sark Fighter podcast on social media. I'm on Facebook, Instagram. If you happen to have a Peloton, look for Sark Fighter and follow me there. I have a cycling blog, Carlin the Cyclist, and there's a section there called Cycling with Sarcoidosis, and you can kind of see how uh, I have battled the different aspects of this disease and the medications and tried to keep riding my bike at a decent level. Um, Also, the backstory to the founding of the Foundation for Sarcoidosis Research is episode 11 with Andrea and Redding Wilson. They founded FSR at their kitchen table. If you are new here and you are just trying to figure out what sarcoidosis is, try listening to episode two with Dr. Simon Hart. My story is in episode one. Please send me an email. It's in the show notes, carlinagency at gmail.com. I love to hear from you. Maybe you have a comment. Maybe you'd like to appear on the podcast. That's the best way to get in touch with me. I appreciate your interest in the Sark Fighter podcast. It helps me reach more people and grow the show. If you would share it on your social media, if you like it, just tell one person. And of course, If you are finding it on your phone or an app, please subscribe to the podcast. That way you'll know every time I release a new episode. Merry Christmas, Happy New Year, Happy Holidays to all of you. And until next time, keep fighting. Trying to keep up the pace Dead men walking